If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Matthew chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're wrapping up our family series today, and it's been a lot of fun. Sad to see it go. I probably should have spent a year on a family series to be able to get through it all. But today we're going to be talking about something that really isn't talked a lot about a whole lot in the church, and that is singleness. It's something that really Western church, or at least American church, and especially church plants don't talk about a lot. And the reason for it is this. When you're a church plant and you're new, you're, you're trying to go out there and you're finding a place where, first of all, you can survive. Like, where can we plant a church that people will actually want to come to? So what a lot of people do is they tell you you need to have like a target a location that you're going to. And what most people do is they will pick a, you know, kind of like a wealthier suburb to go to because they think, uh, you know, even if everybody in the church ties, 10% of zero is still zero, and you still have to pay the rent somehow. So that's honestly some of the thinking that goes into it for a lot of people. And then you say, I had to have a, a target group of people that we're trying to reach, and we're really going to focus in on them. Because that's, you know, there's a lot of good things that we've learned from the business world, but there's also some kind of things that have crept in that have kind of taken the church, I think, away from the way it's supposed to be. So what most churches do when they plant is they say, we're going to focus people in their, you know, kind of like late 20s to mid-30s, maybe 40, married with children. And that's going to be who we're going to target everything after. So all advertising has pictures of, you know, smiling families and kids. Uh, Every banner that you see in the church is smiling families and kids. It's always family series talking about marriage, kids, stuff like that. And so if you're a single person, you might feel like, well, this obviously isn't a church for me. But this is the vision that God gave uh, to me. Is I know when I was going through my church planner training and they're interviewing you about your, your plan and all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, where do you want to be? And I'm like, uh, well, I'm going to be in Ann Arbor. And they're like, all right, what neighborhood are you targeting? And I'm like, mm, kind of all of that county. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I said, I just want to meet right in the middle of the county so I'm as close to as many people in Ann Arbor, Ipsy, Milan, Dexter, Celine. I want to be like a 15, 20-minute drive for everybody. And they're like, okay. And they said, well, who's your target group then? And I was like, mm, everybody. <laughs> and they're like, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why not? And so what I said was, I think that a health, not a health, a church is healthiest when everybody is there. Your church needs to look like the city that you live in. If it doesn't look like your city, then you're not doing a good job of reaching out to people. One of the parables that Jesus talked about, he says, it's like when you're, when you're going out and you're trying to lead people to Jesus, you throw out this net and you catch all kinds of fish inside of the net and you pull it in. And we as a church, because I think of that vision that God gave us that we're here in the very beginning of, we want to be a church where it's people of all races, all age groups, all economic backgrounds. We want to be a church that looks like our city. And so that means that we're going to have married people, we're going to have single people, we're going to have babies, we're going to have people that are seasoned in the faith, we're going to have new believers. I mean, we should look like this city. And it's really amazing to see that that's what God has been doing here. And I'm just so grateful to God for that. And for every one of you that is here, man, you are all cherished. You are all so valued. And you are really integral, every single one of you, to the fulfillment of the vision of Radiant Church. And so that includes you singles who are oftentimes uh, feeling the most neglected or unwelcomed in church. Like You are so important here. Because God has an incredible plan for your life in your singleness. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about, is what is God's plan for singleness? Jesus was a radical teacher. Any of you that have read the New Testament at all, you've gathered that. 
he teaches some really bizarre-seeming things. And most people, when they're a radical, what they do is they come up with a new way to do something, something that's never been thought of, something that's never been done before. But Jesus is a little bit different. Instead of coming up with something new, what Jesus does when he teaches is he says, this is the life that you were originally created to live. This is the way that you were supposed to be, but because you live in a sinful, fallen, broken world, now the the broken culture and systems have tainted the way that you view yourself and the way that you're supposed to live out your faith. And so he comes and he begins to teach people new ways to love your neighbor, new ways to love your enemy, new ways to love your family. And one of the things that he talks about is the way that you live as a single person. And he completely revolutionizes the idea that people had for what singleness was all about. And he says this in Matthew chapter 19. The, disciples, the Pharisees have come to ask, and ask Jesus, what are the morally acceptable grounds for being able to divorce your wife and then remarry? And Jesus says this, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So this is what happens. The Pharisees come to Jesus with this question about divorce and when he answers and says the only reason that you can get divorced and remarry is for sexual immorality, it's not the Pharisees that flip out his own disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, this is impossible. This is a burden that you've put on us that is too great for anyone to bear. You mean that if I'm not like, in love with my wife anymore, I can't just get rid of her? You mean that if she burns my food, I can't just kick her to the curb? If, I, if that's just not working out, I can't go find someone new? Like, Jesus, if these are the insane requirements that you're putting on marriage, then let's not get married at all. That's just ridiculous. And they're trying to use humor because in this culture, everybody got married. If you didn't get married, uh, you were a freak. You were an anomaly. There was something that was wrong with you. The whole culture was pressuring you towards marriage. The idea that you wouldn't get married was just completely foreign to them. Everybody got married in this culture. And so Jesus then comes to them and he says, okay, you made a little bit of a joke, but... This is how I'm going to respond to that. He says, Not everyone can receive this, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. See, Jesus is saying is that the reality is for some people that it's better for you not to get married. It's better for you to remain a single person. And to the disciples and the Pharisees that are hearing this, they're like, what on earth are you talking about, Jesus? Because it goes against every embedded grain of their culture. And their culture was a lot like ours. In our culture, if you're single, it's like, oh, there's something wrong. You need to find someone. You need to hurry. This isn't the way you're supposed to be. I know when I went to college, what happened was we, we view relationships as two things. It's a source of identity for you, and it's a source of security for you. And if I was uh, a sociologist, I would love to do a study on freshmen and their moving in week to, to kind of like track relationships and what happens with them. Because what happened with us is you go to college and whoever your roommate is, that's your new best friend. 
because you don't know anybody. It's like, hey, we live together. Good news. We're best buds. And then you go to your freshman orientation things, and, uh, and then you, like, you, you find a boy or a girl, and you're like, good news. You're my new soulmate. And then by the end of orientation, you hate your roommate and your soulmate. And you're looking for someone else, but you're so insecure because you don't know who you are. You're trying to discover your identity. And so you think that I have to find someone else to give me this identity. And you feel completely insecure because you're in a new environment. You don't know anybody. You don't know anything that's going on. So you find security and stability in the relationship itself. One of the beautiful things about Facebook is you get to see people. It's like, oh, new relationship. Oh, they're not with them anymore. Oh, they're in someone else now. Now they're not with them. And you'll see people. It's like, there are some people that just have to have someone. They just are always in a relationship. And it's because they view their source of identity and their source of security and really the way that you're socially accepted is by being in a relationship with someone. And if you're single, that's not the way that you're supposed to be, and you feel this pressure to find someone. So Jesus says, you know what? There are people out there who it really is better for them to remain single. And he begins to use the analogy or the metaphor of a eunuch to talk about what this really means. And at this time, Jesus uses the word eunuch five times in one sentence, and that makes me uncomfortable. Just reading that, it's like I'm saying eunuch too many times. Because it has an uncomfortable association with it. And it was even more so for the disciples as they're hearing this because the eunuchs were a, just a pitied class of people and you can understand why. Jesus says there's different ways that people end up a eunuch. Some of them, it's that they're born that way. There's something biologically or physically that has happened so that they're not able to get married, not able to reproduce and they're viewed as like there's something actually physically wrong with you. We're so sorry for that but you're kind of weird. And then there's people who have been made eunuchs by force. And that's, uh, I mean, that actually was something that wasn't that uncommon even in recent eras. Uh, they would, you know, especially for young boys, you want to keep that nice tenor voice forever, so you make them a eunuch. And they keep that high voice for a long time. And then there were people, a lot of kings, when you would come in and you would want someone to, to serve in your court or to take care of your wives, you would make them a eunuch so you didn't have to worry about anything. And there were certain people that said, you're really smart, so we're going to castrate you so that you're never distracted by anything. You can just really focus on academics. And then he said there were some people that chose to make themselves eunuchs. And that's a weird thing, too. <laughs> but all of these people, there are an entire class of people that are viewed as having some kind of a weird abnormality. We feel bad for them. This is so weird. I, I'm so sorry that you're like this. Because for them, remember, everything in your life was about having, being married. It was about having children, especially having a, a son that could carry on the family name and give your inheritance to and your blessing and all of that. So being someone who wasn't married, someone who wasn't pursuing a relationship, was completely foreign again to the disciples. But it didn't matter how it was that you became a eunuch, whether someone did it to you, whether it was a decision that you made on your own, every eunuch was someone who served. Their attention was on one thing. Their attention wasn't divided between my, my spouse and my family and then my work. It was just, I am, I'm a eunuch now, and all of my time and all of my attention is going to go into serving and pursuing this one thing. And Jesus says that there are some people who have been called to serve the kingdom of God in a unique way of where all of their attention, all of their focus is to be put solely on Jesus 
and his kingdom and in seeking him out. And then Paul begins to clarify this even more. He brings some more light to this because Paul himself is single. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 7, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And what Paul is saying is that singleness is a gift from God. As Paul's writing to these people, he's writing to them because one of the questions that they've written to Paul and asked him about is, hey, are we all supposed to get married like our culture tells us to? Or are we all supposed to stay single so that we can focus solely on Jesus? And Paul writes back to them and says, look, it's not one or the other that all of you have this calling or all of you have that. It's about finding out the unique gift that God has given you. Because some of you have been given the gift of family. You've been called by God, given the gift of having a marriage. And that is his good gift to you. But there are some of you also, like Paul and like many others, where it says that God's gift to you isn't family. That's not what he's called you to. Instead, the gift that he's given you is the gift of singleness so that you can focus all of your time, all of your energy on pursuing Jesus and to following out the ministry calling that's on your life. The confusion in this area comes from the fact that what we do as people is we look at the gift that we have and we're like, oh, this isn't bad and we kind of think about it for a minute and then we look over at the gift that someone else has and we're like, ooh, maybe their gift's better or maybe I'm supposed to have that gift. A few weeks back, my son Eason, we were at the park and he saw some kids playing soccer and he's three years old, so he saw them playing soccer and this was a new experience for him and he was just transfixed by it. He's just watching these kids play soccer. He was just fine playing on the swings with me, but then as soon as he sees the soccer players, he's like, oh, and he's just watching them. For like a half hour, he's watching these kids play soccer. He's like, hey, can I go play? I'm like, no, that's an actual team. They're actually doing something. You can't just go out on the field with them. He's like, oh, and so then we go home. He's like, Dad, I, I need a basketball. And I'm like, what? He's like, I want to play basketball with the kids. I know, it's soccer, remember? Like, he doesn't even know what he needs. <laughs> and so for an entire day, he's like, Dad, I, I want a soccer ball. And he's like, I want a basketball so bad. I'm like, no, Easton, that's not a basketball. You have a basketball. You want a soccer ball. And then the next day, he's crying. He wants a soccer ball so bad. He's like, Dad, I need a basketball. And I'm like, no, when you figure out what it is, then maybe we'll talk. <laughs> and so he keeps asking, and then on the third day, he's still crying. He's like, Dad, I don't want to. He finally, he's like, I want a soccer ball so bad, I want to play with the kids. And finally, I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe this kid has enough passion for the game that he can like, pursue this and be good at it, and I can retire on him. It's so like, you know, I'll, I'll invest 30 bucks into getting him a soccer ball and some shin guards or whatever, and maybe this is going to pay off really well for me. So we go to the mall, and we get a soccer ball, and he wants to get a net, too. And I'm like, well, let's, let's learn how to actually kick this thing before we get a net as well. So we get that, and we get the pump, and he's, he's carrying it through the mall, and he's so excited. He's like, Dad, I got a basketball. I'm like, no, it's still a soccer ball. And we go home and we pump up the ball and he's so excited. He's like dancing around. He's got little tears and he's like, I'm going to play basketball. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to kick it to you and I kick it to him. He's like, wow, and he grabs it with his hands and he throws it. Okay, we've got to work on some basics here. But he's so excited about it for two whole minutes. 
And then he sees a glass salsa jar that's empty. He's like, oh, and he runs and he grabs that. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You were... What was You had this gift that I gave you. It was a good gift. You could have enjoyed and used this gift so well. I could have been rich off of you if you just stuck with this for more than two minutes. But instead, he looks at the gift that he thought he wanted so badly and now he sees something else and he's like, this gift isn't maybe what I thought it would be, so I'm going to go after something else. And that's what we do. Here's what married people do. Like, you can't wait to get married. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Perfect, they're going to complete my life. I just want to be married. I just want to be able to look into your eyes all day. Just hear your heartbeat. You guys remember those days, those of you that are married? You thought that's what marriage was going to be like. You have this person that's a gift from God to you. And then you get married. And then there's some point in your marriage, you start looking at your single friends, and you're like, man, they've got it figured out. And then you people have the gift of singleness. And you're, you're like looking at the married people and you're thinking, oh, they just get to look into each other's eyes all day. <laughs> and you look at this incredible gift of singleness that God has given you, but you don't recognize it for the gift that it is because all of your focus and attention is on the gift that God gave someone else. You know, that word gift that's used here when it's talking about singleness, what it actually means is that it's something that a rich benefactor gave you to help you or to aid you. That's the context of this word. Is that God, the giver of good gifts, he doesn't give bad gifts. He gives good gifts. And he gives you exactly what it is that you need when you need it. It means that he's given it to you to help you or to aid you. Whether that be your marriage, or whether that be the singleness gift that he has given you. You need to recognize the gift that God has given you. And you need to embrace it. You don't need to look at what anybody else has, because your understanding of their gift is much different than the reality of the gift. The gift that God gave them is not the gift that you need. And the, God, the gift that God gave you is not the gift that anybody else's needs. We need to get good at recognizing the gifts that God's given us. Have you ever given your kid or a friend or anyone a gift? Like you put a lot of thought, you put a lot of effort into this kazoomtike, and you were really excited about it, and you gave them that gift, and they're just kind of like, meh. Like, are you kidding me? Do you know what you could do with this gift? Don't you understand this incredible thing that I've given to you? We need to become people that know that gift. You need to recognize that the gift that God has given you, if you are single, is a gift that God has given you to help you and to aid you. Now, what's so great about the gift of singleness? The gift of singleness is so good because singleness is an opportunity. Paul says this about singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, but to the holy in body and spirit. But the married, man, or sorry, the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, the advantage to singleness and the gift that God's given you if you're single is that you are free to focus solely on God and the things that he has called you to. You don't have the anxieties, you don't have the worries, you don't have the divided attention that comes along with the gift of marriage and of family. See, here's what my life looked like before I was married. I worked just like everybody else. You know, you go 40, 50 hours a week, and that still leaves you a whole ton of time left over, though, when you're weak. And so I'd spend a couple hours a day reading my Bible. I'd spend a couple hours a day just listening to worship music and singing along and praying. I'd be able to spend another couple hours a day if I wanted just reading other books, serving in different ministries. I mean, I had time. I didn't have money, but boy, did I have time. My relationship with the Lord, was, man, it was close. It was intimate. My ministry was incredible because I could just focus on exactly what it was that God had called me to do for other people. And then here's what, what started to happen, though, is I got married, and it was an incredible gift. I'm so grateful. That is my gift, and I love it, and I cherish it, and I don't want any other gift. God gave me a good thing, and I'm going to, to love this gift my entire life. But something's happened in my life as well when it comes to ministry and to my time with the Lord. Is, you know, I used to have all this time to pray, to study, to read my Bible, do ministry. Well, now that I'm married, it's like, you've got to spend three, four hours a day with your spouse if you want your marriage to continue. Because God's given you this gift. We know we're supposed to steward these gifts. And so for me to steward this gift properly, I have to invest my time and my energy and my attention into my gift. So, you know, if I'm spending three or four hours, you know, on a, a weekday with my wife and, you know, then, you know, weekends you're planning on spending the time together, well, that makes it so I had to be more strategic now about finding time to pray and to worship and to read my Bible and I had to be more selective about the ministry things that I'm doing. And then you get kids. And then you go from having a couple hours a day to just easily spend with the Lord to you're trying to, if you aren't intentional, don't make a schedule for yourself, wake up before the sun rises, it is really hard to find time where you can just focus on God and, and minister to him, allow him to speak to you. It's a battle now. It is hard for me to carve out the time that I need to spend with the Lord. And the intimacy and that closeness and the reliance that I once had on with him is not the same. Because I need to make sure that I'm, I'm loving and ministering to my wife and to my children. It's the same for my wife. She used to be able to have all kinds of time to just pray and, and worship and focus on God and serve other people. And now that attention and that energy has been diverted so that we're, we're ministering to each other and we're still focusing on other people. We have a family that's a gift that God has given us and we're going to you know, invest in them. We're going to see our children grow up to love Jesus and to change the world that's around them. But it's different now. And there's a reason that Jesus was single. There's a lot of junk, junk stuff out there right now talking about his wives and his children and stuff like that. And that's some of the worst scholarship you will ever see. Actual real scholars, even atheists, are like, no, this is ridiculous. There is no proof of this. Um, but, you know, Hollywood movies are very persuasive. You put a soundtrack behind something and you will believe anything. <laughs> but... What happens now is that when you're single, you have all of this time just to focus on Jesus. And Jesus could not have done the ministry that he did if he had the gift 
of a spouse in the gift of children. Because there is no woman on this earth that will let you take off for three years to, to travel around the countryside with 12 stinky other guys. That is not conducive to family life. Jesus lived out the gift of singleness. It was his calling. It was the gift that God the Father gave him because the ministry that he had been called to was so important. Paul's the same way. Paul could have been married, and that's what he says. Like, look, we all have a right to be married. He's not saying that you shouldn't get married. But he says, but if you have the gift of singleness, if you have the ability to remain single, then it is more beneficial for the kingdom of God. Paul could not have dragged his wife and his children along with him as he was shipwrecked, floating in the, in the ocean for two weeks. He could not have dragged his wife and children as he's going from city to city, planting churches and being stoned and left for dead and having the bottom of his feet beaten with iron rods to break all of the bones in him so he can't walk. He could have taken his wife and his children along as he's whipped with a cat of nine tails. These are things that are not conducive to family life. And so he says, the calling that's on me, the gift that I have received is the gift of singleness so I can put every ounce of my attention and my focus on advancing the kingdom of God, not just in my family but more in an apostolic missionary role of going out all over the place to make Jesus famous. That was his gift and that is the advantage that there is in singleness. Now he says, look, if you get married, there is nothing wrong with that. It's a gift to be married. But if you have the gift of singleness, don't despise it. Don't let anybody think that being single is a weakness or that there's something wrong with you. If you have the gift of singleness, you have an incredible, powerful, unique gift that God will use to advance his kingdom through your life more than you can possibly imagine. And here's the last thing that I think we need to understand about the gift of singleness is that singleness is a gift we all receive. None of us were born married. Some of us got married young, but none of us were born married. Every single person will go through a time of singleness in their life. And this is the way singleness works. It can be a gift that is a primary gift that God gives you. Like my wife and I, we have different gifts. She has the gift of mercy. If you're trying to tell her anything about what's happened in your life, you're like, well, I got a hay meal the other day, and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make you a meal. I'll watch your kid until you're all better. You know, like she's really empathetic, and she's feeling worse for you than you are for yourself. And I, my lowest gift is mercy. <laughs> and so we balance each other out. That doesn't mean that I never am able to exercise the gift of mercy. I'd be a terrible human being if I never exercised the gift of mercy. But that's not my primary gifting. And so for all of us, there are all times when we exercise the gift of singleness, even if that isn't the primary gifting that God has given you. And there's a way that God has called us to live as single people. So if you're single because you're, you just haven't married yet, you're, you know your gift is to get married and to have a spouse one day, but right now the season that you're in is that you are a single person, this is what God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you, number one, I want you to remain pure. Our society has this idea of this is your time to go out and sow your oats. That is not the life that God has called you to as a single person. It says that right now you are joined to Christ Jesus. Amen. And when you join yourself to someone else in a sexually impure way, you're trying to join Jesus to a sexual impurity and that does not make God happy. 
He's called you to more than that. This is a time for you to remain pure and to focus on living a life that is pleasing and holy to God. And the second thing is that it's, he's called you in this time to just really focus in on him. Don't worry about trying to find a relationship. Even if you know that someday you will be married, don't make your life about trying to find this relationship. God is the giver of the good gift. God will bring you the gift in his perfect timing. Don't worry about trying to make it happen on your own. It will be with disastrous consequences if you do that. If you're single and you're waiting to get married, remain pure and remain focused on God and his calling to you right where you are right now. And then thirdly, he says that when you do get married, do not marry an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Now, he's not saying don't have unsaved friends. I mean, we are missionaries. We are priests in this world. We are here to teach other people about the love that Jesus has for them. But he says you cannot join yourself to someone. You cannot have your life cemented to theirs if they aren't passionate about Jesus like you are. Because you are joined to Christ and they're joined to the ways of this world. And so when the two of you come together, uh, I hear people like, I'm going to be like a missionary dater. No, that never works. Anytime (laughs) someone that's a a believer comes together with someone who isn't, and this is what you see happen in their life, they become less passionate about Jesus. They become less passionate and less sure about the call that God has on them. And you see that fire that was once in their heart begin to become extinguished. And it's not that it happened overnight, but over time, gradually this begins to happen. And you can't, there is nothing in this world that is worth that. The most precious thing that you have in your life is relationship with Jesus. It is worth more than anything that you have. That's what he says, like, you, what do you guys have in common? Because the very core, the very foundation of your life is that you are called by God to something. There's a new purpose for your life. There are new passions inside of your life. And so you cannot be joined to someone who isn't like that as well. It will drag you down and it will drag you away from your passion for Jesus and from your obedience to his call on your life. I've had a lot of people that I've seen that have gone down that road and have eventually shipwrecked their faith or their marriage has been destroyed, or they've watched their children go off and not follow Jesus because one of them was trying to raise them to follow Jesus and one of them wasn't. It brings heartache every time that would be so much more than if you just ended the relationship before you ever got married. And then he also says this, that if you're single because of divorce, he says that you should work towards reconciliation. And if that's not the case, If you can't reconcile, then you just stay single and you continue to pursue God. You continue to pray that reconciliation will happen one day. He says that the only reason that you can get remarried if you're divorced is if the person cheated on you, basically, then you're free to go and to get remarried. But if not, then I've called you to be single and just seek me. 
The other exception is if you weren't a Christian and you, you, got, you, know, you got saved and God did something in your heart and now your spouse divorces you because you've decided to follow Jesus, then God says that you're not under any bondage anymore, that you're free. I want to encourage you to go out and try to get married again real fast. Let it be a process of God working something in your heart. And then the other reason that we might find ourselves single, and this is you know, the unfortunate reality, is if you have a marriage that is great and you love each other, eventually there's going to be a, come, a time where you are parted by death and you do find yourself single again. And that's a hard one. And Paul says that if you're young, you know, going out and getting married again might not be a bad idea. But if you're older and you're mature enough, he said, I encourage you to stay single and make your life now about ministering to the Lord. Now, there's a story in the Bible I love of Anna. And she, I think her husband died about seven years into her marriage. And it says that she just went to the temple and she lived there. And she spent the entire rest of her life just fasting and praying. And God used her as a prophetess. And because she had lived this lifestyle of committing herself to pursuing God in her singleness, she saw Jesus. She recognized this little baby as the savior of all the world because she was close enough to God to be able to recognize him. It's a hard calling. Singleness is never easy because it goes against the natural way biologically that we are. It goes against the grain of culturally and societally who we are but it's a gift that God's given to some of you as a primary lifelong gift. It's a gift that we all experience at some time in our life. And this is how you stay single. And you're able to do it with joy and with peace and happiness in your life is that you allow God to fill you with his grace. If he's given you the gift, now he's gonna give you a grace, the power and the ability to live through it. My mother-in-law who lost her husband two years ago, she said, I never understood how good God could be. I never knew what a comfort and a strength he could be to me until I found myself in the place of where I needed it. And her relationship with God is closer and stronger than it has ever been and she's doing more things now for ministry than she's ever done in her entire life. And she misses her husband like crazy and she will every day until we're united one day in heaven. But she recognizes that she still has a gift now and that she's able now to do more things for the kingdom she ever was before. And this is what Jesus says, not Jesus, God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you're single because you haven't gotten married, if you're single because of divorce, if you're single because of death, this is what God speaks to you. You don't have to worry about weakness. You don't have to worry about inabilities or insecurities because he is with you. He is for you. He is strengthening you and he is upholding you. And the other comfort that we have is that we truly have been joined to Christ. And you have a family even in your singleness that's bigger than any family you ever could have imagined because Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Those who do the will of God. You have a church family who desperately needs you. You have a church family who loves you. And you can still have incredibly deep, meaningful relationships. And you need to. That's the way that you were created to be. But you only survive and thrive in the gift of singleness and following what God's called you to do 
if you recognize that you've been joined to Christ and if you recognize the larger context of the family that he has given to you and are able to find the richness and fulfillment of the relationships in it. Would you guys stand with me this morning? I also want to pray for you guys uh, for strength and that you can live out this gift of singleness or that when you find yourself in that spot that you're able to go through it and to live it well. So Father, we thank you so much that every one of us has a gift. It's not that some do and some don't, but that you have given a gift to every one of us. And Father, we pray that you would speak to every heart now. God, that in their marriage they would see the gift of their spouse. Father, that in their singleness they would see the gift that they have in their singleness. And God, that we wouldn't look to each other and look past the gift that we have, but that we would truly cherish and invest in and steward the gift that you've given us. And Father, for every one of us, God, we thank you that we've been joined to you. For every one of us, we thank you that we've been joined to this larger church family. And God, we pray that we would continue to model and to demonstrate the love that we have in you. God, that we would continue to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of the gift that you've given us. Father, I pray that in our marriages and in our singleness and in the way that we raise our children, Father, that we would begin to continue to exemplify and to model the richness of the love that we have found in you. God, that others would come to have hope for their families, for their singleness. God, that others would come to have hope for salvation because they see the way that we live, because they see the work that you've done inside of us. God, I pray for encouragement for every heart. God, I pray for vision for every heart, for the state that they find themselves in now. And God, I pray that you would join all of our hearts together. God, that you would continue to break down everything that's been raised to separate us from each other as a church family. And God, that you would continue to bind our hearts together around you, around the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.